reading today is from Genesis chapter 37, beginning at the first verse. You can find this on page 39 in your Bibles. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you, you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off for the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his, ornate, of his ornate robe he was wearing and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, 
they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw, saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to the brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is whether it is your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a sackcloth on and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to the Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Zach. Well read. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name's Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. It's great to be with you. Special welcome if you're new or visiting. Uh, it's great to have you here. and I hope you feel warmly welcomed by our church family. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, we sold our car. And um, the person who bought our car was this guy who was in the inner west. And so one Saturday, I took the car there. And uh, he looked at the car, and he was happy with it. So he paid me. And then he drove me back. In the car, we started chatting, and it turns out this man who bought my car was an ex-policeman. But not just that, he was a detective who used to work in homicide. And so we were there in the car chatting together, and I kind of wanted to keep the conversation going because it was stalling a little bit. And so I asked him something that, without you know, really thinking about it, uh, which I straight away regretted that I asked. I asked him to tell me some of the worst cases that he had worked on. And I regretted asking this because he then proceeded to recount to me in quite graphic detail some of the worst crimes and murders that have happened in our city. This is horrific stuff, you know, some of the worst evils that you can imagine. And so that took the conversation down an interesting path. Um, I then asked him, um, what does seeing all that evil, you know, what does seeing all that up close, what does that do for you and for your view on us as humans? And to this he paused, and then he said something that I think we've all heard before. Well, you know, there's good people in this world and there's evil people. There's good people like us, and he was pointing to us, in, the two of us in the car, and then there's evil people out there. 
That's what he said, this ex-cop. But what about you? Where do you think human evil is? And where does it come from? Where is human evil? What that ex-cop said, it's a very common view, isn't it? There are good people and there are evil people and human evil, we hope, is something out there. It's in another country, in Yemen or in Sudan or in Ukraine where these horrible wars are happening. There's human evil there, but not in our country. Or it's in, it's in another suburb. You know, those homicide cases that that policeman was talking about, well, that's in another part of our city. That's in those postcodes, but not here in our suburb. Or maybe you're thinking it's in another home. It's happening in other houses, yes, in other homes, but not my home. Human evil is happening there, in other homes in the suburb, but not here. What's interesting is that the Israelites, who were the first readers of Genesis, probably thought along these lines. The worst of human evils, well, yeah, that's something that belongs in other nations, not in us. As they came to the passage that Zach read for us this morning, Genesis chapter 37, it would have been a shock. Uh, Last week, if you weren't here, we finished the account of Jacob in uh, Genesis 35. The following chapter, which we didn't read today, Genesis 36, is all about Esau, uh, Jacob's brother, and his descendants who would become um, the nation of Edom. This is one of the nations that surrounded Israel, who the Israelites would have probably seen as their enemies. And then Genesis 37, our reading this morning, it shifts the focus back from Eden, back to Jacob's family, back to his children, who would become the founding fathers of Israel. And so these original Israelite readers might have been tempted to think, oh good, you know, the story's moved back to us, to the good guys. Enough of Edom and these enemy evil nations. Tell me about us. Tell me about the good guys. And what a shock this chapter would have been. The story in Genesis 37 about the founding fathers of Israel. It's a story full of evil, isn't it? Some of the worst kinds of evil. And this evil wasn't in another country. It wasn't in another suburb. It wasn't in another home. It was right here in their own home, in their own family. And this is a message for us too, the mess we've been seeing, the sin we've been seeing in Genesis. It's not something out there. Human evil is much closer to home than we think. And friends, this is going to be quite a hard word to hear. It's going to be hard to hear this. But it is God. It is God's word to us. And so let's stop now and ask God for help. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us humility this morning to hear your word and to accept what it says about us. And give us humility to see you as the judge of the world who determines good and evil. And Lord, give us the humility to accept the mercy that you offer us in your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So Genesis 37 has a lot to say to us about evil. And the thing we'll see is that evil leads to more evil. Human evil breeds more human evil. It's like bacteria that breeds more bacteria. Evil leads to more evil, and it leads to worse forms of evil. Because this story of human evil, it begins with the favoritism of a father, of Jacob. Uh, We're introduced uh, to Joseph, one of his sons, one of his 12 sons. 
And Joseph was given very special treatment by dad. Uh, Verse 3. Now Israel, who is, it's another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Jacob loved Joseph the most. Not just because he was born in his old age, but if you remember, he was also, Joseph was also the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Remember that uh, Jacob loved Rachel and not Leah, his other wife? Uh, Jacob played favorites with his wives, and now he plays favorites with their children. He loves Joseph more than any other of his sons. He makes a beautiful robe only for Joseph. It's pretty blatant favoritism here. And we've seen favoritism before in Genesis, haven't we? Remember, Jacob himself was the favorite of mum, of Rebekah. And his father Isaac, he loved Esau more than Jacob. So this kind of parenting was modeled to Jacob. And Jacob is completely replicating it to his own children. Now, you might be tempted to think here, you know, so what? You know, for sure, people have their favorites. It's not great, but it's, it's harmless, relatively speaking, right? You know, if you had a list of the worst of evils out there, you know, favoritism, it wouldn't make the top ten, would it? True, 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 true. But look what favoritism leads to here. Verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to, to Joseph, to him. The favoritism of a parent leads here to the hatred and the jealousy of brothers. Not being loved by dad makes these brothers hate Joseph. And this hatred builds up, it gets amplified, especially when Joseph tells them his dreams. Verse 5, they, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And again, this isn't the first time we've seen someone hating their brother in Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel. You know, Cain was jealous of Abel, jealous of his brother. But what are these dreams that Joseph has that increases their hatred? Well, the first one, Joseph dreams about bundles of wheat. And he and his brothers were binding these bundles of wheat. And your bundles, he tells them, your bundles were bowing down to mine. And their reaction to this in verse 8, they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. Their hatred is increasing. It's building up. Now, Joseph probably could have done with a bit of EQ here. Maybe he should have realized that they wouldn't have taken very well to these dreams. You know, he is a 17-year-old boy, we're told. Maybe there's a lack of wisdom. There's a lack of empathy. Maybe there's a little bit of arrogance. Either way, him telling them the second dream doesn't help things. This second dream is on another level. He dreams that the sun and the moon and the stars are all bowing down to him, i.e. dad and mum and all the brothers. This is how they interpret it. And so this time, Jacob, the dad, gets involved and he rebukes Joseph. But even dad, even Jacob, can't stop the jealousy that is already brewing in his sons. Verse 11, we're told his brothers were jealous of him. Now, we might have been tempted to downplay the sin of favoritism before, but I wonder what you think about jealousy. How dangerous is jealousy? You know, when was the last time you were jealous of someone? And do you remember what that made you do? One of the most confronting verses for me as I've worked through my struggles with jealousy is this one. 
It's in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy, it's another word for jealousy, and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Where there's jealousy, you often find it leads to more evil. You know, think of the kid in the playground, jealous that a friend has a toy that they want. What kind of things could that jealousy lead to? You know, snatching, fighting, bullying. Think of the self-ambitious, career-driven person, jealous that their colleague has gotten ahead, you know, been chosen for that lucrative job, that lucrative project, the promotion. What kind of things could that jealousy lead to? You know, we've seen it before, perhaps. The fake congratulations, the gossiping behind their back, the secret undermining, the backstabbing. We've read that script before, haven't we? Well, think of the jealousy in a relationship or a marriage that might involve someone outside the relationship. And what kinds of things could that jealousy do? Again, you know, we know the script. It's ugly, isn't it? The scary thing is that we've all been jealous, haven't we? We've all been jealous. Jealousy is an evil that's close to our home. And what's scary is that jealousy and hatred can lead to the worst forms of evil. That's what we see happen next. We see how this jealousy and hatred of these brothers leads almost to the cold-blooded murder of their own brother. This story continues. Joseph is sent by dad, Jacob, to check on his brothers who were out with the flock. And, you know, these guys were nomadic shepherds back then. They just wander around the whole countryside with their flocks of sheep. And so it takes days for Joseph to eventually find uh, them in this place called Dothan. Now, Dothan is actually located on an ancient trade path that ran from ancient Mesopotamia down through modern-day Israel and down to Egypt. And that's somewhat significant for what happens next. Uh, But listen to what we're told in verse 18. But when they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. In verse 20, Come now, let's kill him, and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. This isn't like a red mist that has descended and overcome them. You know when you're so angry that you can't control what you're doing? This isn't that. This isn't uncontrollable rage. This is calculated, cold-blooded intention and plan to murder, to kill, to murder their own brother. That's what their jealousy has led to, a desire and a plan to murder. Fortunately for Joseph, Reuben, the eldest brother, the one who supposedly is responsible, he intervenes and instead of throwing Joseph, uh, instead of killing Joseph, they throw him alive into the hole in the ground. But notice verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they even have the composure to have lunch together while their brother, you know, is in the hole in the ground. Again, this is calculated, cold-blooded murder. Evil, sorry, not murder. Almost murder, isn't it? Because they see some traders. Remember the trade route? And instead of murder, they now turn to human trafficking. Judah, the fourth brother, is the one to suggest this. 
he's, he's not trying to, he's not because he cares about Joseph, he's not trying to save him, he just wants to make some money out of this. Why have the guilt of murdering your own brother when you can make a buck out of all this? Uh, now Judah will be significant in the next few chapters, he'll go through a big change, but right here, he's right at the center of this evil. And because of his idea, they sell their own brother for 20 shekels of silver. Some say this is about 200 US dollars. But, you know, see, many of, many of us are probably familiar with this Joseph story, aren't you? It's in, it's in the kids' Bibles. It's a familiar story. But if you stop and actually think about what's going on here, the crimes that are actually committed, this is something that you'd see in a Hollywood gangster film, Right? jealousy and hatred has bred some of the worst forms of human evils and it actually leads to more evil still I've called these the the silent the silent evils the ones that a bit harder to see or to 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 know to hear self-love and deception so Reuben comes back in verse 29 apparently he wasn't there when they sold Joseph off as a slave he freaks out, where's, where's Joseph? But not because of what we might think. You know, you might have been tempted to think that Reuben is a bit of a good guy, and you know, he's the one who tried to save Joseph. And actually, to be fair, he did save him. He stopped them from killing Joseph. But notice what he really says in verse 30. The boy isn't here. Where can I, where can I turn now? In other words, Reuben is really only concerned about himself. He's not saying, oh no, what have we done to our own brother? He's saying, how am I supposed to get out of this one? How am I supposed to explain this one away? You know, I'm the eldest, I'm the one who has to answer to dad. What trouble am I going to get into now? All he was thinking about was himself. And sometimes we can use good actions to hide our inner selfishness and our self-love. That's why I've called self-love and selfishness a silent sin. Others can't detect it. Others can't hear it. Others can't see it. Others can't see that our charity and our generosity is actually our way to get people to like us, for example. Others can't see us doing something really nice or loving to someone. It's actually because we just want something back in return from them. The second silent sin happens next. It's deception. They take Joseph's colorful coat they dip it in some goat's blood, and they show it to Dad. And Dad buys it. He thinks that some animal has killed Joseph. And so these brothers get away with it. No one will know now. It's silent in that way. The irony is that Jacob, the one who deceived his own father, remember Isaac, now he's being deceived by his own children. But can you see how human evil breeds more human evil? Favoritism, Jacob, to the hatred and jealousy of his sons, to the desire to murder, and now to deception. But not just that, evil has bred more evil down the generations, from father to son. It's passed from father to son to father to son, and actually all the way to us here. So you don't think that the human evil is just part of this Genesis story. Do you realize that it's also part of our story? If you don't realize this, I think you've missed what God's word is saying to us here in Genesis 37. 
Evil is in us. It's in us. I'm evil. You're evil. We're evil. That's what this is trying to say. And I think this is saying something else too. It's saying something in what this story doesn't say. Did you notice that there's no mention of God anywhere in this chapter? God isn't mentioned, God isn't referred to anywhere in Genesis chapter 37. It's like God himself is silent. Where is God in all this evil? That's what we are asking. Where is God when all the evil of the world is happening? Especially when we see evil up close. That's the question we want to ask, isn't it? Has God left us? No, it's actually the other way around. We left him. We left God. Jacob and his family have ignored God, ignored his word in this whole story. They don't, they don't seek him. They don't acknowledge him. Even when Joseph has these dreams, it's clearly from God. But nowhere does the family, Joseph, Jacob, the brothers, nowhere do they acknowledge that this is from God. And this is what we've seen in Genesis, haven't we? You know, think of Genesis 3, when evil first entered into our world. When we ignore God and when we ignore his word, when we don't seek him, when we don't want his word to influence our lives, evil will breed more evil in our hearts and in our lives. Every example of human evil in this story of Genesis happens when we do this to God, when we ignore God, when we ignore his word. See, God isn't silent. He speaks. He's speaking. He's spoken. But you can silence God. You can silence the voice of God in your life. You can ignore God and his word. And when we do that, just notice how it will affect your life and how you relate and treat each other. It's been a bit depressing, hasn't it? This story, maybe this sermon. But there is hope. And the hope, of course, comes in Joseph and what will happen to him. Notice also how Joseph is silent. He doesn't say a word as his brothers tried to kill him. And they, when they try to sell him off as a slave, he's silent. He's a silent victim of this evil. And he is a picture of how God himself will come and deal with the problem of human evil. I don't know if you remember this graph. I, I used it a few weeks ago to describe the story of Genesis. There's the four, and, but God turns things around by appearing to Abraham and then you know, establishing a relationship an everlasting relationship with his family. And friends, this is also the story of Joseph. We saw the down bit today. But God will actually bring about unimaginable good, unimaginable good from the evil that we read today. And friends, this is also the story of Jesus Christ. This is the journey that Jesus took. He was born into Jacob's messy family. The Son of God, we read, was a descendant of Jacob. The Son of God enters our messy world. He enters into this messy family. And he also faced jealousy too. His fellow countrymen were jealous and envious of him. And they conspired and plotted to take his life, to kill him. And just as Judah and his brothers got to pocket 20 shekels of silver for selling Joseph, Jesus is betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. 
And just like Joseph was silent before his brothers, Jesus was silent like a lamb led before the slaughter, as his own fellow countrymen beat him up and handed him over to be killed on the cross. See, God is not distant and removed from the suffering of human evil, the suffering caused by human evil. The Son of God entered into it. The Son of God became a victim, a silent victim of human, of the very worst of human evils. And he did this so that he could deal with it. He did this so that he could deal with human evil, the, the evil that is in all our hearts. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ who poured out his blood so that our evil can be forgiven. And praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ who pours out his spirit to us to work in transforming our evil hearts. Let's praise Kind and merciful Father, thank you for this word to us this morning, this hard word that reminds us of our need for your mercy and your salvation. Lord, we are evil in our hearts and we need your forgiveness that you offer us in your son Jesus. Thank you that he was the silent victim of human evil, that he didn't walk away from the cross, but he went to the cross and by his blood we can be forgiven. Please change our hearts, Lord. Forgive us our sins and change us to be more like your son. In his name we pray. Amen.